This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, you know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's music row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. For 60 years, St. Jude doctors and researchers have helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. But we need your help getting that number to 100%. And most important, your support means that families will never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food. Now, that peace of mind means so much. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. One of the things that I did when I moved to Nashville is I didn't play live with a band here for four or five years. I just refused because I was so scared that I would end up in another cover band here. Episode 425 with Randy Hauser. I've known Randy for 10 years, but I haven't like known known Randy. Like he's always been, and we've done some stuff together. He's played charity shows for me very kindly. He's been on the show a bunch, but I don't, at least I haven't known known him. Like we've never spent any time together socially. That being said, I feel like this is one of those times where I feel like I get to know him a little bit. You guys are oddly similar. Yeah, and I didn't know that. I didn't know. Like, I knew kind of his story and growing up in Mississippi, and but it's like he left, and I was like, dang, I like that guy. And I've always liked the guy, but I felt like I would like be that guy's friend. So only ten years too late. You know what I mean? Yeah, his friend just hanging <laughs> out. Um, Randy Hauser at. Randy Hauser, he's got 433,000 followers, so he's got a pretty big following on Instagram. Uh, if you, get, you guys want to go over and follow him, that's cool. But here's the thing. He's got a new song called Cancel that's out right now. I'm a God-fearing man. He, he's got a role in the Killers of the Flower Moon, which you saw his scene there, which is pretty cool. Um, he's also in a movie with Dennis Quaid. He just wrapped up touring with Cody Johnson. He's got a tour coming out in 2024. But let's go through some songs real quick. Run Out of Moonlight. This is a big old fat number one. That, I mean, this song reminds me of us moving to town. Just, it played all the time when we first moved here. Uh, good Night Kiss. We started with a good night kiss. Like a Cowboy. And We Went. So we went that's four number ones from Randy Hauser. Uh, he's got an album, Note to Self, that's available now. And he, he wrote on every one of the songs. You're going to hear a lot of this stuff. I mean, something we didn't talk about was 
And I just felt like people probably always talk about it, and we were in a good spot. I didn't bring up honky tonk, badonk, donk. Oh yeah. And I don't, I don't know that he doesn't like talking about it. But it was like I felt like we were on some real like sincere stuff. Hey, what about that honky tonk, badonk, donk? <laughs> you know, it just kind of felt weird to to bring up. But he co-wrote that with Jamie Johnson and Dallas Davidson. That was his first hit as a songwriter, at least one of them. Randy Hauser, here we go. You guys again, follow him. Go watch him. He's such a powerful vocalist. Afterward, he texted me, and this has always happened. He texted me, he's like, hey, man, just want to say, I think he kind of felt like I did. It was like, oh, man, I think we like each other. Oh, we always like each other. It's like, I think we, like, I don't know, want a hug and didn't. All right, here we go. Randy Hauser. Uh, Randy Hauser, good to see you, buddy. You too, man. I did not know you were a golfer. Uh, yeah. I, I know because you were in the hat. Yeah. Which is old hickory. I didn't. Is that, uh, when did you start playing golf at all? I started probably 12 years ago, only because I was so sick of sitting on my bus. I was just fed up. Like, everybody would go out golfing. And, you know, I didn't, I grew up in Mississippi where I grew up there. You know, unless you had money, you didn't golf, you know. And so I sort of, like, in, in an odd way, had, a, like, a affinity. Like, just kind of was like, yeah. I don't people that golf are, I'm not in that, but then I, and then I, then I went out and just gave up and said, all right, I'm going to go with you guys. And boom, I was devastatingly hooked. Yeah. I, for me, similar, you know, in Arkansas, you didn't, I actually worked on a golf course, but they never let us play because right. I did maintenance. Yeah. And if you were like one of the rich kids and your parent was a member, you, you got carts as your job, but you got to play. Yeah. But we never got to play. And so then I had this guilt of playing golf when I got older, even saying I played golf. I did too. Because I was like, I don't want to seem like I'm rich. I don't either. Because I was, I was, I was embarrassed about it. I was too. And so. And still sometimes yeah, I me, feel yeah. a little weird about it. Same. And But then I f figured out the joy of it is, is that it's competition with yourself. Dude, that's it. I, I tell my wife too is, you know, we have, whatever our, our, our personal needs are, whatever cups we need to have filled, you know, whatever terms you use. Mine's, I need my competition cup. Same. Like, I have to have something that I'm yeah. striving to get better at that isn't, work, that isn't like my career. Well, yeah, we spent so much time trying to be the best at what we, what we actually have made a living doing. I think it's a great outlet for people that, that, have, that do that and have done that, which everybody does, but... And I think that's why golf is so attractive to people. I didn't know it then, but it it's it's yeah, had me for years. Were you an athlete in high school? Yeah. It, it, to what extent? What sports? And and how how were you as a high school athlete? I was pretty good. I was a football player and a baseball player. Um, pretty decent at both. You what would you play? Like linebacker? No, I was a uh, well through like the ninth grade. I was a quarterback because I was a little skinny, little you know. And then I just sprouted. Like when I when I got my driver's license, I was five four, one hundred thirty five pounds. At sixteen, you were five four. Fifteen. We got our license at fifteen back then. Got it. Back and then you acting like it was the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> we're we're the same age, I think. Probably. Yeah. So okay, go ahead. But did y'all have to wait till sixteen? Um, we could get a, a hardship at fourteen. Yeah. Um, and you could get a permit at fourteen. That's what we did. That turned into a, a license. Mo a month, a month of permit, and then yeah. And I think Arkansas and Mississippi were a little bit alike because we both were uh, broken hopeless. Yeah. So they were just like, give the kids a license. <laughs> Let them do something. Yes. Get them out of here. Yeah. So you're, 50, you're five, five at 15. I was five, four, 135 pounds. That's wild. 
Because yeah. you're you're a tall dude now. What are you six? Six one. Yeah. No. And so, see, I would have put you like a safety or linebacker. Well, then I, I played tackle in football, and then I was a pitcher, catcher. I could play anywhere on baseball field. But now, it's so weird after uh, not playing baseball for like twenty something, thirty years almost. I pick up a baseball, and it feels like I'm throwing a rock. It feels so tiny. Yeah, I can't, I can't get the feel of it anymore. Did you ever play softball after your baseball, like in your adult life at all? I tried. I tried to play in the celebrity things here, and I thought, dude, I'll crush this. And I can't. I mean, that ball, the arc of the ball coming in is so completely different than a baseball coming at you. You never, like, jumped in the league, like a, a recreation Tuesday night league or anything? No, I think that, like, you know, the funny thing about me, I grew up playing sports, but but I, I know jack about sports anymore. I, I just can't. I, I think I – once I decided I wasn't going to be a pro baseball player, you know, as a kid, I was like, I was always into music, you know, just even as a child. But then it was like I was so immersed myself into making music that I that I just kind of went, you know, put blinders on to, to everything as far as that. If I'm making assumptions about you, and please tell me I'm wrong, but growing up in Mississippi, I grew up in Arkansas, like not only was country music prevalent in my life, but like classic rock was current rock. Oh yeah, I mean that was yeah. as as that was as every day as if it were being created that day. So all the bands from the late '60s and '70s was that how it was in Mississippi? Absolutely, still is. Yeah, I, I think you know. I mean, you know, as far as country, everything that's country, current country is what is either that or uh, Thin Lizzy, mm-hmm. you know, or Leonard Skinner and you know Bad Company, and that's what I, I, I think it's a lot still that way. Yeah, we. My stepdad, my mom, remarried when I was a teenager, and that's what we would listen to the classic rock station. And he would just always quiz me on what was playing, like in the first five seconds. And so I never had a dad, so I thought it was kind of cool that Same. somebody cared. Yeah. And so I would just study songs so I could impress him. Yeah. And so I used to play that game too. Mm-hmm. And so like the Hollies, like long, uh, long cool woman in a black dress. And, yeah. and so I would learn all of those songs. Yeah. Just because I wanted to like bond with him, yeah, and so that became that '60s and '70s, all that classic rock, and even even later, early early '80s, yeah, became what bonded us because I was trying to like apply that tape, that that double sided sticky tape to us, yeah, and so that that to me is my classic rock relationship. You That's say good. you you had the um, well, you know, it's so funny. Like my mom. You know, I see my mom and dad divorced when I was like six, and then he moved to the coast, which is like 150 miles from us, and I barely saw him. South, yeah, yeah, to like uh, Biloxi, mm-hmm. and I, uh, and then my mom remarried, but I never had a bonding experience much at all with my. She married twice, but uh, I never, you know, it was more like a ever, not really. No, it was kind of sad. It was kind of sad, but they just. Always made us feel like we were uh, in the way. Yeah. Did um, did you do you have a relationship with them now? Either one of them? They're both dead. They are. So you have a relationship of just remembering them. No, that's yeah. about it. My stepdad and I. He's you know my my mom died and um, my girl. Pretty much everybody that raised me died except my stepdad, who was in just like the teenage years of my life. Yeah. But I'm closer to him than I am anybody else. Yeah. That I'm related to. I got very fortunate in that. I, I, he he didn't hop in and think he had to be my dad. Yeah, but he definitely d- 
did make it a point that he's not my dad. Yeah. And that was a big factor for me. That's pretty strong. Uh, what was your mom like? My mom, she's still, she's, you know, it's so funny. She's been very, very full circle. She's had, um, you know, she's had a lot of issues over the years and, and, and things that we've, we've all had to fight with her to overcome. And, and so my stepfather died three years ago. Um, and she had, he was probably, he was, he was almost 20 years older than her. And, um, she spent a lot of years last last years taking care of him um and then uh she reconnected recently over the last two years with a high school boyfriend and they just got married and he's a baptist preacher facebook bro yeah i'm just assuming crazy yeah <laughs> so they they uh and, and you know it's like she'd gone through a lot of, you know a lot like she, what's like addiction stuff yeah that's what my mom that's what she died of well my mama i I don't I don't know how much I should share about all that, but my mom went through got very close. Yeah. And uh and decided one day after almost being done yeah. that she would want to live. And um she hit bottom, you gotta hit bottom to try to climb up. And man, she did. I'm so, so happy what what God's done in her life and and uh she's like now this lady that I grew up with that, that was you know, because so many years after my, the, her and my dad split up when it was just me and her and my sister. Uh, I just, a lot of those years, I remember her, her being such a go-getter, you know, like having to take care of her babies and stuff like that. And she yeah. did. She she did the best she could. And then uh, and then it got these years where she was just an unhappy person. And, um, but, you know, no love lost. We, we, but it was just a tough, tough time for everybody. But, you know, I'm very, very proud of her. I'm grateful. My dad died when I was 21. Your, your biological father? Yeah. I'm grateful for you that your mom hit rock bottom and got out because I just have deal, dealing with addiction in many ways through my life. Yeah. My mom had to hit rock bottom, but she didn't live. Yeah. But she had to hit rock bottom. Yeah. Like, you have to hit that point where you're going, okay, this is not good. I got to change. So that's, that's like, I love that for you guys. Well, I hate that, that that didn't work out for you. You know? Yeah, me too. And that part sucks. But, you know, for some people, and my mom went to rehab and did, you know, I've talked about it a lot. Um, but I've learned a lot from it, and I know that I would I would struggle with that. I've never had a drink of alcohol, yeah, because I would oh I would love it, God dang. Well, see, yeah, and one thing I did learn from you know, and I'll drink, but um, can and you? I've had oh yeah, without without like yeah. drinking a whole lot. No, I'm one of those people that can pull the plug, like because wow. I saw him, killed my dad. You know, that's his liver and kidney shut down. So and, it physically uh, got him. Mm-hmm. Wow, and so. I'm almost, you know, I can I can easily hillbilly slip on, you know, if I start feeling like I'm not in control, I, or if, you know, I just I can feel it and I just it makes me uncomfortable. Man, I like enough just to make me go, all right, I'm, you know, but some people don't have the ability. I don't. To I wouldn't. I don't. I mean, it excites me just talking about it. Yeah. Just to just to. Well, then you be, probably shouldn't. Oh my god! <laughs> like I go. Uh, I've had friends that that have. You know, that were heavy, heavy drinkers that have made it out of it and um, completely different people now. I mean, Charles is yeah. somebody. I mean, yeah. now, I've been with Charles and Jake. I've been with both those guys when they've been in both sides of it. Yeah. Jamie Johnson, that was one of my Yeah. Like, I used to tell Jake, I'd be like, dude, <clears throat> like, when I moved to town, Jake was the first person I knew because we had a mutual friend. 
um, one of my best friends is he used to play tennis, Andy Roddick. Yeah. He was like, "Hey, I know Jake." Cause, and so I moved here. And he was like, his name was his name's Josh. I don't know why he goes by Jake. So like yeah. he knew I'm like that. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and but Jake would go hard, and he was just very inconsistent. There would be some days he'd want to fight me. Yeah, I've seen that. Side. Some days he'd want to love me. I've seen Charles and Jake almost getting fight. Yeah, and so he was just <laughs> really inconsistent with me. So I was like, I can't. But now that he doesn't drink, at least like consistently, like we have a great relationship now. Because yeah. even if we don't get along, we know consistently. Yeah. It, it's it, it's completely changed who 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 Jake is. I've seen that in him, and I love to see that because it's yeah. uh, it, you're there's never a question mark who you're going to get anymore, you know. And I, I love that. But I'm to, to me though, um, if I have a couple of drinks, I just get giggles. Oh, I'm man, not, that would be awesome. I don't I don't get one of those. I don't get get mean. I get very protective of my friends now. Like if if somebody's trying to mess around. I've never, I don't think I've ever been in like a altercation that I, that I was actually the one that was in the thing. It was always me taking up for somebody. So you don't, you never got drunk and just wanted to go fight somebody? Hell no. Oh man, I'm afraid I would do that. <laughs> I would take sleeping pills. But I was, all, I would always look for an excuse. <laughs> Whew, I don't even want to, I, I can't imagine. I would take sleeping pills. Um, I had some issues. And so my doctor, we tried all this stuff. It was like, you need to try sleeping pills. I just wouldn't remember what I did. Oh. And I stopped because you talk about the control thing. I just was afraid. I would fly so much, be traveling. Yeah. I'd, again, I told my friends, I'm afraid I'd be waking up in handcuffs, arrested, because I was like pooping or whacking off in the <laughs> airplane in front of everybody <laughs> and not remember it. And not have any and, Yeah. But seen, that happens. But that sounds fun, too. Especially. <laughs> well, just try it. That's the problem. If I do, I'm going to go no, no, as hard as I can. It. Just try it without it and see if it's fun. Well, no, no. I don't want to do it without it. You have brothers and sisters? I have two. I have a half sister, younger, and an older sister. Well, did you live with them growing up? Mm -hmm. were, you, were you close to them? Yeah, especially my older sister. My half sister is thirteen years younger than I am, and uh, we're still all very close. Yeah, but, they yeah. still in Mississippi. Yeah. Do you still have a like Mississippi pride to you? Like when I don't know what part it is that, you, but like, do you still do you root for it to do good things? Absolutely. Yeah, we're. Uh, I mean. You know, I, I think there's there's always a lot of, even as undignified as the way I grew up, probably you too, there's still a lot of, uh, there's still so much of who we became that comes from that. And, and you know, the, the, the climb, the, the struggle to not necessarily get out, but just to sometimes, you know, it, it was the only way to to make something myself was to, you know, to go. And But I, I, there's still a lot of pride and there's, you know, you know, there's a lot of amazing, amazing people from where we're from, and and that taught us so much. You know, there's like, and the one thing I'll say, there was there was a lot of, even without having a dad around, there was all these other dads that stepped up. Same for me. Never was a stepdad, but I had like ten dads. Yeah. So that was a that was incredible. That's one of the things that I always like try to strive to. If I see that. And a kid, like, you know, I just lost one of my buddies here last in April. And, uh, you know, try to step up for his kids. And, like, you know, somebody, as much as I can, try to help fill that role, you know, because people did that for me. It's funny you bring that up. It's such a big part of my life. I, my youth director at church. Same. Uh, high school football coach. Same. Like, I still talk to him twice a week. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Coach Martin. Yeah. Like, would step in and do things that they just didn't have to do. Right. But they're men. But yeah. 
it was just, it was kind of the, the an innate part of of them yeah. where they were like I, I should and I will and I still I can I appreciate that so much even now more now than ever actually I do too how did that affect you as a dad now I think that they were example the only examples I knew of what a dad was supposed to be um, and you know and it's still like a I mean I still like struggle with am I doing the right thing you know you know I don't you know it's just uh but to see people like that 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 raised good kids and they, and I was and a lot of those kids I was being raised with them you know with those with their dads but it definitely impacted me you know it made me I don't know it made me want to, just it was a role model it made me strive to be what they are and so had they not stepped up there's no telling what kind of piece of crap I'd be well I think too for me it showed me consistency yeah because I didn't have much consistency. I had none. Yeah, just to see consistency. Consistently even, shitty. Yes. <laughs> e, but even, yeah, just to see it, though, even if it wasn't in my circle, but to see that it was kind of reachable. Mm-hmm. What wasn't really reachable for me was, well, this, honestly. Yeah. But, like, leaving, because nobody left. Yeah. How, what, 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 what is your leaving story? Yeah. That's a funny one. I think the, uh, well, leaving story, I, uh, one of my dads, <laughs> um, he's a, he was he's he is a radio person in Mississippi, and he was on the air for thirty something years. Still, still does occasionally. His name's Ken Rainey, but he and his family, he's he is like one of my dads. But um, so not one of your stepdads, no, no, somebody who stepped in, got a, it, a, a, yes, sir, got it, dad, you know, mm-hmm. and he, and he, and he'll tell you right now that I'm one of his sons, you know. Um, I had, you know, I'd, so I, I got out of high school, I started playing bars and stuff like that, and I, and I played around through Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, all that stuff for probably 10 years. I had this band called 10 Pound Biscuit. And I, so Ken was on the radio there, and, uh, and he and I struck a friendship when I was in high school, you know, and, uh, he just sort of, he just said, well, if you're going to do anything, you got to get out of here. And so he sort of brought me to Nashville and kind of introduced me to a few songwriter friends he knew at the time. Wow. And, um, and sort of just kind of like put me on my way. I had like 1500 bucks in my pocket and, and he gave me a, a old, like a 1991 Mercury Cougar. Cause I didn't have a car. He gave you a car. Yeah. God. <clears throat> and it broke down week two. I was here, you know, but you know, the, but it was um I was I was also very, very fortunate that when I got here I had met well I had sort of known um Derek George. I don't know if you know Derek George, but Derek produced um like the records like the How Country Feels and Run Out of Moonlight, those records. But he, he grew up in uh Philadelphia, Mississippi, which is like twenty miles from me, twenty five miles. Um and, and when I got here I went to meet with Derek and he, he took me into this publisher on Music Row uh, called Windswept, and it was these guys. So I got I got very lucky. And I'd also, I had met a girl that was here that had known me from Mississippi that from playing clubs, and she said, hey, would you ever be interested in, like, singing demos or anything like that? And I was like, sure, I'll do anything. I was about to just just gonna get, go get a whatever job. And um, so she had... These guys, Randy Boudreaux, who was, he's he's moved back to Louisiana, but he had written like Broken Heartsville and 
some, you know, like a lot of big songs, and he, and they asked me to gave me a shot at singing a demo for them. And this was like week one, and I sang one song for them, and and they gave me like fifty bucks, and I was like, holy crap! You just got paid for singing in a studio, yes. yeah. And, and like I'd never really been in a real studio, yeah. And so the next week they gave me like ten of them. He's like, so I, I just immediately kind of went to work, and then the the publisher like a month later signed me in my first publishing deal. So I I was really lucky. I mean, I had to spend a lot of time. You spent a lot of time touring and doing 10-pound biscuits. So it's Before, not like you yeah. were 17 and moved to town. And, no, you I know. was 26 when I moved here. Really? That's yeah. like a grandpa. I know. I mean, considering when people move here. And I'm 48 now, so I've, yeah, it's crazy how, how it's flown by. What was 10-pound biscuit about? It was more like, I mean, we played a lot of country, but it was also like we would take like old Robert Johnson songs and speed them up and play them like we call it Mississippi rock and roll too. So Which all blues songs that kind of contempor- yeah. make them a bit contemporary sounding? Yeah. When there was a lot of that stuff going on at that time, you know, like North Mississippi All-Stars and mm-hmm. that, kind of, that kind of stuff. Do you think about those days when it was <clears throat> a struggle as also being freaking awesome now? It's so awesome. It is awesome. I mean, every time I, I think, damn, things are not going my way, I just it doesn't take me but just a minute to think back and go, this is pretty badass. Yep, it is. <laughs> and I still have a real appreciation for, like, when I was 21, 20 broke, mm-hmm. but I bought a PlayStation 2. And I, you know, I had no, but I never had money. So it wasn't that I was in this whole world of not having money. I lived there, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, I'm not scared of being right. broke. Right. So uh, the struggle was just surviving and having to pay all my own bills and stuff, but I would go home. But every dream was still in front of me. Yeah. And that was awesome. Yeah. I, there's still, do you still have that sense about you that there's still things like, oh, me, yeah. It's a constant. Yeah. It's, but does that get in your way? Is that ever unhealthy for you? Never. Really? For me, it is. Is it? Yeah. Maybe Too it is for me. You're going to make me analyze my stuff. Well, I ain't trying to put you in a bad place. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I do. I'm still like, there's still so, why am I not here? What, um, there is, yes, I, I start to no, get, get in trouble well, a little bit. Well, you're kind of at the top of what you do, but and I would say the same thing about you. I would not. Okay, right. That's exactly. I'm not even going to the awards. You know what I'm saying? But that's what I would say about me. Like yeah. I am not. Yeah. And so it's just funny how the perception. Yeah. When we're ten thousand feet up looking at the forest is different than if we're sitting in the woods. Like I at times feel like a massive failure. Like most I of the do time. Too. Most of the time. Well, I have to say that I, there there are those those times that you know it's just like all I can do is like create something that means something to me at the time and and hope that it means something to someone else you know i can't i can't go into creating just to think i'm gonna go make some money you know that or to be famous you know i just you know i i i think i went through a little phase of that and it didn't make me happy same i was just like near yeah so uh you know i'm i'm definitely uh, you know wouldn't say that I'm happy with. I, I'm very happy with what I achieved so far, but I always got to keep keep going. You know, challenge just like golf, competing with myself. Mm-hmm. Hang tight, the Bobby Cast will be right back. 
This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah, that's what the whole store basically is: fresh leather, yep. friendly staff, or you like the smell of staff. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift too! Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food. So the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. And we're back on the Bobbycast. What do you enjoy doing? Just that's just a very open, vague question. Take golf out and take playing music out. What do you enjoy doing? Where do you enjoy going? I asked. I was in my therapist's office yesterday. Their mental health big deal for me because I never even knew it was a real thing until yeah. I realized mine wasn't good. Yeah. Kind of one of those things. And yeah. then he's like, "Where do you go? Like when you want to relax? What do you?" And I'm like, "I have no idea." Yeah. What What is it for you? So, okay, about 15 years ago, I went on a trip with my buddy, songwriter buddy, Rob Hatch, to uh, to Bahamas, where we're, where we're going. And and for me, it was the craziest thing because I'd never seen anything like this. Didn't know 
anything like this existed. But I went with he and his family to the Bahamas, and uh, and I saw the water there, and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. You know, the, just the color, and uh, and and being being able to get on a boat and go sort of like lake life, but looking at an island over here and getting on a boat and just go do it. So I do that a lot. And, and I, um, so funny cause I had no idea about boats or I grew up in the middle of the state. There's no, there's no water. There. Yeah. And, um, or if there are there flat bottoms. That's right. What, yeah. 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 So literally like three months later, I went back down there by myself and rented my own boat. Really? Yeah. And, and rented a house. And I started now, and I like I screwed up so many of those people's boats, just hitting rocks and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> but I eventually learned the water down there, and um, so that's like literally, I when I get off the plane there and get on a boat, and my throw my bags on the boat, I go, and it's just kind of like everything kind of just it's like a it's a weird baptism in a way. It's like a washes me clean. I don't have to think about anything else. My phones go off. Don't have any service um, until I get to the house with Wi-Fi, and then. But it's just like for me that that was my thing that I found that was like my escape, you know. At what age was music your escape? Oh God! Well, like what as a kid, and they could even be listening, like finding music to listen to before you played it. Like when did you when did you kind of love music? Well, because my dad was a musician, he would you know he would um. Every night, never failed. Even you know, uh, you know, he would sit on the side of my bed and play songs, and, and I'd sing with him as a little boy. You know, so that that was you know, I can't remember not having that until he was gone. What know? what kind of songs? He would play like anything. Like he'd play like Jimmy Buffett songs or Dan Fogelberg, and he was he was really into singer songwriter music, and you know. um but he would all, you know, he'd play country stuff too. But it was more singer songwriter stuff than than probably like George Jones. You know, he what, would, what was his dream as a musician or an artist, or did he have one? <clears throat> I think so. Yeah, but he he kind of, I mean, you know, he grew up. He was kind of like extremely talented. Like he could play anything. He, you know, he'd play um, piano and organ on a lot of these like old blues stuff and like. Um, and he would uh, played in bands and stuff like that. So I remember, I even remember like the first time I went and saw him play with a band. That and I was probably four. You remember this? You remember something at four, four or five? I couldn't yeah. be much older, but I, it had impact on me. I, and I remember him. I remember thinking about him sitting on the side of my bed and playing with just him and singing songs and me singing with him. And then I saw him play at this. Playing, playing with this band at this bar called, and I remember the band, the bar was called Widow Watsons. I remember that too, and I um, and I recognized that there were like five people on stage all doing something different, but it was coming out of these speakers as one thing, and it just impacted me. I was like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. Mm. I just knew, and um, so as soon as I could, as soon as I could learn how to play guitar at like, a, I mean, as soon as I could, he was teaching me, you know. What, what, what age is that? Six, seven? Six. I, were you six. playing like a small acoustic guitar? Yeah, he'd have me just a little something, you know. 
Man, that's those those got to be the best memories. They were, when, and, and you know, and the great thing about him was, and I do, and this is one thing I took from him with my kids is like, my kids don't go thirty minutes without me to tell them how much I love them, and he was like that to me. So I never felt this that kind of deficiency. I knew that my daddy loved me, but and I and that's one thing I give to my kids. I'm like, and me and Tatiana were talking about that last night. It was like. One one of our goals is for our kids to never not hear that, you know. How old's your oldest kid? Eleven. So you had your first kid at thirty seven, thirty eight, thirty seven. So thirty yeah, thirty six. We're just now starting to talk about having kids. Yeah. I've been scared forever. Didn't have models as parents, think I'd be a terrible parent, was yeah. afraid to not be able to afford to be a parent. So all these irrational fears that are there for a reason, obviously I experienced them, but they feel ir- they're irrational. Yeah, yeah, well, you know what? I had the same thing. Yeah. But I think the innate part kicks in. To, I hear you, but man, yeah, innate, I don't be, trust innate in me. You'd kill it. If you, because you actually care that you, that, that the fact that you actually are scared you would do a crappy job at it, you'll kill it. I'm also scared I do a crappy job like telling jokes. Sometimes I suck at that too. You know? <laughs> so, what, what's what's the what's I mean, what's having kids about? I don't know. I think it, for me, it's it was um, if I every ounce of ego that you might have, they'll kick that shit right down the stairs. Because because you were old, you're 30, 30, whatever you said, thirty five, thirty six, thirty seven. That's older to have you a dad. I'm gonna be yeah. I'm gonna be freaking grandpa. Well, I got a one year old too, and I'm forty eight. So. <laughs> dude but i'm I, like I, I think i'm about to go yeah for those that don't know he meant uh chopping the tube that would send the sperm <laughs> throughout through his penis so when do you start not pulling? the penis actually no t- the tube that would send the sperm out through the penis not the penis off just being clear that would be hilarious <laughs> you go in for the wrong surgery um when did you start to play music with other people either your age or like older men that knew how to play instruments yeah, so probably fourth grade, I started playing with. Um, there was a there was one guy, his name was Jason Shirley that that lived in a town probably seven miles from me that played guitar and his dad was a musician. So we started doing that, um, playing, and then it became, you know, everybody else quit, you know, doing that. so. And then like, I played and started literally probably. 10th grade really playing out, you know. Uh, and then right at the end of, the high, of high school, I ended up playing in bands. Where everybody was 25 years older than me. And so that was cool. It was a, it was like a college for me, you know. Mm-hmm. It was, a, you know, it was it a was really great experience I had. And, and, and the, the people that I played with were, so much better than they were ever given credit for. You know, one of one of the guys that I played with that was in one of the bands was um, he was in one of the original Burrito Brothers. His name was Chris Etheridge, and he um, he'd played on the road with Willie for several years too, and, and come back home to Mississippi and and uh, and he and he sort of kind of like schooled me on charts and all the stuff, you know, and you know always pushed me to get out of there and, and move to Nashville. Sounds like he cared. Yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah, sounds like he cared. Mm-hmm. You, when you moved to Nashville, I, just hearing your story about you guys playing and you touring all over the Southeast, 
Now, did you develop a following enough as a band or as a, to, to make you think I have to go and take the next step? Or why, like, why stop that and come here? Well, I think that at the end of the day, I was the only one that took it as serious as, as it needed to be taken. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody else um, had something to fall back on or, you know, just, um, I don't know. I, th- I just think I was more serious about it. And you, you knew, you, not yeah. that you'd be successful. You knew that that's what you had to do. Yeah, that's how I feel about this. You know, all the stuff that I do, and I tell people, man, if you think there's a chance you could do something else, go do it because yeah, this, I agree. It this sucks and it's awesome, but it sucks mostly. Yeah, but it's yeah. awesome. There's, but there's, there's a there's a lot. There's something awesome and something that sucks, but it's, there's always a yang to the end. I mean, it's just just the way it is. But you know, you still the weight of. The weight of the good definitely has outweighed, you know, anything that's bad from what I've done. When you're here and you're singing, you're doing demos. <clears throat> are you hoping that somebody hears you? Singing demos? Yeah, like it's secretly. Like somebody that's, that's, you know, trying to listen to songs. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. I mean, how were you going to be discovered in your mind? I had no idea. You know, one of the things, I, one of the things that I did when I moved to Nashville is I didn't play live with a band here for like four or five years. I just refused because I was so scared that I would end up, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I always was scared that I would end up in another cover band here, and that would be I'd be downtown, you know, every night, you know, doing that. And and that's not what I came I'd done that for 10 years before I moved here. So... My focus was to get here and learn and learn how to really write songs and and learn you know I had you know I always written songs but there's a there's a different level of songwriters obviously in this town that that know how to craft a song you know and sometimes I feel like some of the innocence of my songwriting got booted because of of learning the process of how everybody writes here so I I think that I lost some of the the raggedness, you know, which I sort of regret sometimes, but I I wouldn't play live because I didn't want to didn't want to be in a cover band. And then when I felt like I'd written enough songs to really go start playing, I I did. Where do you play when you're ready to start playing? <clears throat> Back then, it would be like Third and Lindsley, Twelfth and Porter. And how uh, do you get a shot to sing? Douglas Corner? Do you have to? Do you know? So you've been in town for a few years now. Do you know somebody? Do you go and just call and say, can I get it? Like, how do you do that at that point? Well, I had been playing, like, writer's nights, just acoustic. Mm-hmm. And so some of the club owners would be like, are you ever going to put a band together and, and go? And Got we, it. We'd love to have you play. And finally I did. When you would play these writer's nights, these rounds, would people react to you singing in a way that would make you think, I crave this, and obviously I'm good at it, when did that start happening for you? Because um, you have such a distinct, strong voice, and I don't think that just happened like three years ago. No, that was, you know, I'd like I said, I'd been doing that for so long. It was, I mean, that part was like, that's just innate to me. You know, I don't mean that in like a boasting way. It's just like you get on the radio and you talk, and, and somehow you keep the thing, keep the ball rolling, and you just know how to do it. It's instinct. Right. Right. And that's how, I guess... It's a combination of the things I listened to growing up, 
combination of being on being in the bed singing with my dad at four years old and learning how to learning how to use the muscles to make my voice do the things that I hear in my head. Like did, a like a pitcher throwing a yeah, curveball. Muscle memory and yeah. then learning what works and yeah. did, uh, when did you when did you realize you were a good singer? I don't know. I still sometimes I don't know. I, uh, I, you know, I hear people that 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 I still hear people that I go, man, I wish I had that kind of voice. Okay, you know? that's fair. But like, if you're singing and you're being rewarded by applause or people going, "Hey, you're great," it maybe that's <clears throat> when did that fourteen, fifteen, or was it later? No, it was probably then. Yeah, yeah. It, it may have been. I mean, you know, I. Singing church as a kid, and I would, you know, uh, always end up with one of the, like if I was in a uh, Bible school play or something, I'd always have the part that would sing and stuff like that. So I was always, I always like was aware that I could do it. But I think it, you know, it's still, I mean, I've, I've, I go back and listen to old work tapes and things like that, and I, and I hear how, how the times, you know how how my voice has changed and how my style has changed and and I don't know if I don't know if I'm where I'm supposed to be as a singer even now you know because I I every every one of those stages I thought I was but you know I I also realized listening back that that stylistically and and the the tone of my voice has changed and those I guess that just happens as you get older and but I don't know I I, I you know, I always kind of knew I could sing. You know, but could, but you can sing so good. <laughs> Thank you. It, and I'm, you know, I'm not just tickling your, your, your weasels right now, but it's like I'm about to go get them clip. Right? Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> the Bobby Cast. We'll be right back. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Dot com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, 
That's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about the incredible work that's being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and to ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. Families do not have to worry about a thing. Treatment is covered, travel, housing, food. And when you're a family that's going through this, like imagine you're a parent, your kid gets cancer. You need to focus on that child. You don't need to be worrying about other things. And financial stuff can get really stressful. St. Jude covers it. Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment. And when you sign up for just $19 a month, you're going to get the new This Shirt Saves Lives tee. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. This is the Bobby Cast. So you moved to Nashville, and I think I would just be a bit intimidated regardless of how good I was because, again, you could be the best, but there are other people that sing different and sing great. Um, I'm telling you, this town's full of it, you know. And it's, But here you are singing demos, and people are paying you. That's got to give you confidence if you're like, oh, no. It was amazing. It was like, I was so, I was so thankful, you know. It was like, and some of those, some of those, people that gave me that work early on are still like great friends of mine, you know, and have really just believed in me since day one and, you know, been real, just encouraging from day one. And so there's a lot of credit goes due to like Kent Blazy, a guy like that. Or, and, and some of these guys that gave me work all the time consistently, um, believed in me as an, enough of a singer to, to try to go pitch their songs that they worked their ass off mm-hmm. to write to these, to these guys and um, but have always but believed in me to put my stamp on their song to try to make it something that somebody would want to hear, you know. So that there's a lot of credit that goes to those people for <clears throat> giving me a an outlet to to grow. When did you get that first, <clears throat> that first opportunity, that first look where it's like I know you wanted to sync. Obviously, you're you're waiting. You didn't want to be yeah. in a cover band. You wanted to be your own artist. Yeah. When did that first serious look come from somebody? It may not even worked out, but they're like, "All right, Randy, we think you're pretty good. Let's give you a look." Do you have like a a, a what do you have a, like a showcase? Like kind a of show? Thing? Yeah, that would be the word. The show, you have a, any showcases, anything like that? Yeah, I had. I mean, I had a, kind of a, like a bunch of those kind of things happen. You know, I mean, it was, it, whenever I started playing live at, uh, around town there was kind of always somebody coming out, you know, it was like, well, there's a, it was like, I remember like at 12th and Porter one year, it was like the highest, like I had the, like the highest grossing alcohol sales for their year, you know, on the nights. Cause I would do it like once or twice a month and they would average out who was selling there. But I, I had a lot of people who would come. come Did you feel the building? That was great. Man. I mean, it would just be slammed and it was, 
and and it was the you know when you're in those those like those you you come to Nashville and you like from being from Mississippi and not really having a lot of people that do what I do to come up with when I came here to find my group of guys was my family you know and and so it it was always you know it was a place to be when we to go out and play and and it was just everybody that we knew came out you know it was like one of those it was a scene back in the day and it, it was when'd just you, when'd you get your record deal deal a year my first record deal was i guess probably 2005 then i'm assuming your first record deal uh did not end in, in a way that you would want it to end no, it's like no. go, it's like going when somebody goes uh my first wife my first <laughs> you know it, so I, the first record deal then i guess was not good for you well um long term it was an interesting story it was a uh, um Allison Jones, um, that's now at, at um, Big Machine, signed me. James Stroud and her signed me to MCA. And um, so James took me and my band to uh, Bahamas, and we cut a record, cut the first record. They take you there because they knew you wanted it and you loved They just said, and here's a, there's a lot of backstory. To, well, the story is basically that. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, and I'm not. Sh- I don't know if James knew it at the time, but but he got blown out right after we cut that record. I don't know if he was just like, let's go to the Bahamas, let's go for, <laughs> and I don't know if I was away. That's funny. That happened. That's funny. So yeah, we went to Compass Point, where like like you know, Back in Black record, a lot, a lot of that stuff was cut, and uh, we went down there, took my band, we had a blast, started recording the stuff. Came back, got roughs almost done. He gets blown out. And then, uh, so Luke Lewis uh, took over MCA. Him and James were the, were the heads of it. And basically, I was out. Yeah. You know? When the people that don't he, bring he you in. That's yeah. right. I mean, I had a, a talk show pilot once. and It was awesome. I loved it. And we did. We shot the pilot. Felt so good about it. And then, like, two weeks after we shot it, the president that had okayed, greenlit it, yeah. was blown out. You're just I'm dead, dead man walking. Oh, it crushes you. Because it, it doesn't matter how good it is. Yeah. It's, it's like a theirs. new athletic director coming in and a head football coach. It's yeah. like the first chance that it's not great, they're going to get their own person. Absolutely. You're not their kid. So you felt that there. So how do you kind of bounce back? What do you do for a while? So uh, it, the the saving grace out of that was is that um, Universal South came came along right at that time. They were a part of that whole group, the, um, the MCA group, you know. Um, so Mark Wright took over Universal South, and uh, and and my deal there was almost there were I, I was history, and Mark said, "Wait a minute, y'all aren't going to keep him," and so Mark signed me over to Universal South, and that's that's when I had like. The first like success I had, like, you know, like anything goes and boots on. So you got to put out music over there, different music, sure. But um, yeah, when you have success, like boots on, for example, and that was that wasn't even what it later became. I mean, did, was it? This is awesome, top of the world. I'm a huge star. <laughs> no, no, oh, it wasn't that at all. Oh hell no! I was still getting. I felt like I was getting my teeth kicked in all the time. You know, it was like you by know, being on the road or what. 
No, I just it was just uh well yeah part partly I mean I I just don't think I don't think there's ever been a I've arrived moment for me because it just goes back to what we we're talking about earlier is okay we're here how do we get there how do we you know we're never going to be satisfied even with how country feels which was a monster yeah that but, didn't give you that a little bit well I remember feeling because well I remember how I. When I knew that How Country Feels was a hit, I remember that. Not just a hit. Let's not let's not make it lower. <clears throat> a monster. Yeah, it was. It was crazy. Yeah, but it. Um, I, but I never. But all I'm all I'm thinking at that point is, uh, oh shit, how do I do this again? Because and I've seen it. I've seen so many ways in in in, in the in this business that I'm not scared of it, but. I remember that first time feeling of of realizing it was a hit, and I was I remember distinctly how it happened. I was we were in St. Louis, and it was um, it was a station that Steve Stewart was the PD at, and he put on this thing. And it was in the fall. It was about the, it was just at Halloween, and he decided he was going to do this thing called concerts in the corn, and uh, and so it was cold as shit, and we go. We're out in this cornfield on a flatbed, and I got gloves on, and we get there like you know five hours early, and I'm thinking, this place is 25 miles out of town, and nobody knows me. <laughs> and I'm like, there's nobody coming to this. And and literally, that song had just like hit like top 15, top 10, or something like that. And, uh, and these cars started coming in, and, it, and they came in. We had to push the show like an hour because they were not ready for what was what was coming, and I wasn't. <laughs> it was freaky, but it was like that. But that was the first time, and it wasn't like you know I was uh, opening for somebody. It was my show, sure. so it, I was like, "Oh my god, these people actually came to see me." Isn't it weird how that can happen? It can go. You can be in it so much you're not even like um educating yourself on what your art is doing yeah because it's at that you know you're promoting a song you're out working and you're running you're going station to station you're doing every freaking show yeah. and you're not really feeling it because you're working so hard and then all of a sudden when there is it took probably them delaying that show and you freezing your balls <laughs> off to go god dang this thing is Crazy. Actually, yeah is, yeah, is creating some response. That was the first time I knew that that song was as big as it was. It was. It was. That was nuts. Uh, but it was a. I remember. I remember a very short pat on my own back, you know, and then going, "Okay, uh, guess what? I got to be at another radio station at eight a.m. and and a and a, you know, at a lunch table." There's nothing yeah. glamorous, you know. It's like you just freaking go, conference room with like some uh, dude and his. Yeah. That doesn't even want to watch. Doesn't want to be there. Yeah, that's tough. They, but that's you know what I also appreciate that yeah. stuff so much because it. I never felt like I didn't work for anything, you know. Your song "Cancel." You wrote that, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me about that song. I, not so much about the song, but why? Like, what? What? Where? What were you thinking? Whenever you're writing that song, like what did it start as? What did it end up as? Um, I guess for me it was just you know, I think I'd just been watching too much news <laughs> at the time, and uh, and starting to, I also was starting to feel like 
misrepresented in a way. I, I feel like that. I feel like I was being made to feel like because I'm a straight male dad in a family that people resent me for that. That that people, some people look at me and go, "You got it all. You have no deficiencies." You you know that 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 in some way that that's almost mm, looked down upon by some people. And I think that, you know, that's everything that I always knew to strive to be. And 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 then there's a um, certain group of people that that feel like, that, that I feel I have been made to feel like that that's, you know what I mean, snarky a bit. So you write the song... <clears throat> Was it a feeling you had? Are we going to chase this song? Was it a few words? Was it a, like a, 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 lot, a hook? Like, how did the song start? It started just the first line. I got to say I don't like where this world's headed. Just don't get it. Don't get it. That was how the song came along. And it was, uh, you know, the song is written, from, from my standpoint, the song is about, not judging people you know i i felt like i was being judged for who i am but I, I but at the same time i don't judge other people for who they are and i don't you know yes i'm a conservative male dad hetero man but i don't give a shit what you do in your bedroom i don't your decisions and what your life has led you to or that's your your cross to bear i don't i have no play into that and i'm not going to tell you you're right or wrong you know it's just like but i'm not going to be i'm not going to be made to feel and it, it, i know that sounds a little but there have been times when i was made to feel that i should feel bad for what i was born and i don't want other people to feel that way about how they live and i think that's the difference in that you are having something regardless of what the situation has happened to you that you're not doing to other people so it doesn't feel like Right. This is fair. Well, I feel like that because if people you were, if you were saying screaming, I'm overprivileged. Well, if you were screaming, <laughs> "Hey, uh, you can't, you shouldn't be gay," loudly. No, I, I think I would probably understand if people were yelling at you. Right. Well, you're, but but you're saying you're you're just living your life. Right, and I think that's what everybody should do. Right. <laughs> so this, uh, what's been the feedback on the song? Uh, you know, mixed. You know, you get some people that think that that I'm bashing you know other you know choices that people make and that's not the case you know i'm it's just about be who you are be proud of who you are love who you want to love do what you want to do that's at the end of the day i'm not your judge you're in my opinion because i am a christian that you're gonna have to deal with that so later on mm -hmm. by somebody that's way got more you know, I'm not the judge. That's that's somebody else's gig. Me, I'm a judge. It's my gig. <laughs> I will be the greatest king of the world. I should off with your head of the world. I, I, not even king of America. I'd be the greatest king of the world, and I do not know why they don't just, just anoint make that me. Happen. That. Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I do want to talk about the movie for a second. Which I don't go to the movie theater. I can't. Yeah. I take that back. My wife makes me sometimes. I've real, I, you know, I I did. I haven't either in a long time, but I did these. Two. Watch this. Two of them. Mike, yeah. Mike D. loved Killers of the Flower Moon. Did he? My wife read the book. I did too. And so we're Had waiting. To. Yeah. Well, I would, did you read it before? I read it when I got cast. Um, 
so we're waiting for it because it's an Apple yeah. Apple movie, right, Mike? Yep. So we're waiting for it to come. And she's from Oklahoma. My wife is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like very much. What w- part of Oklahoma is she from? Uh, like nearish Tulsa. Yeah, so that's where I was. Well, yes. So she knows a, a lot about it through like three and four generations that would talk about it. Right. And like she's moved by the story because she has personal relationships with people that had personal relationships. Yeah. Uh, so, Mike, I'm going to let you ask the first couple questions because I know you've seen it. I yeah. know the story, but you're way more educated on the actual movie. The scene you have is with Leonardo DiCaprio, and one of my other favorite movies he did with Scorsese was Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yeah. And I've seen, like, a behind-the-scenes clip of him, like, totally in the zone, like, doesn't even look like he's there, and then right when the camera goes on, he instantly goes into that character. Yeah. Does he do that? Yeah. I mean, one of the, like, uh, one of the things that was noticeable about him, well, he's he's also also when he doesn't look like he's working, his mind like one of the strangest things would happen was like between like uh between like takes if we had like downtime, changing out film stuff like that, just hanging out talking, I did I I'd notice that he would like uh we'd just kind of shoot the shoot the shit you know I don't know if I can say that yeah on, you okay. yeah but um and then. You know, like the next day, he would come back to the set and and we'd be talking, and, and he would repeat things that I said to him, just like me. Like he would download my accent and stuff like that, which is crazy. <laughs> and uh, but no, he would, you know, he would like there would be time we'd be just be throwing a ball or something out in, out in the yard, and then you know it'd be time to go back in. You know, like he very normal, very normal guy, but also freaking amazing whenever whenever they would yell action how he, he would just freaking go at it you know it was just kind of like stepping on the grand old opera and them saying it's your turn and you, like doing what i do you kind of have to just one of the things that was so cool about it to me and that i enjoyed about the whole process is that i was first of all i was scared to death you know like of what of i had never done this i was like i don't know what the hell i'm doing here and, um, but the same is, is even now before I go on stage, I'm a little anxious. I'm like, look, these people going to hate me, whatever. But when it came time to go to the set from, you know, the actors little, where we're staged to go to the actual getting cameras, the same, the same gear was shifted in my being that, that, is when I'm walking to the stage to go play music. And that and it became it fed me like to go do it. Rather than, you know, all the every fear was gone. It was just go time. Really? So I see I could see that in him as well. Man, that is awesome that you just weren't so self conscious. Oh, I was. <laughs> but but I was able like that blocking mechanism that that happens with going to make music, it totally was the same thing. Was it like watching a different kind of artist? Uh, for example, I go to a major league baseball game, never been, didn't go until I was older, but I would see a, like a real athlete. I'd be like, oh God, I thought I'd seen a real athlete until I saw a freaking real athlete. That's the way it was. Absolutely. It was, it, it was like, and first of all, I'd never seen this whole process at all, you know, and so it was, it was strange. I, it was, um, and I'd never really done. I mean, I'd never done it. And the first first scene I shot was the scene that actually made the film. 
Um, there's a lot of scenes that got cut. You know, they should have had hundreds of hours of stuff. But um, they, uh, the first scene that I shot was the scene that actually made the film, and it was like four hours of like going back because they shoot it, you know, from every angle. Everybody's in the scene has to do their thing, but and I remember just being like totally like what the hell is Martin Scorsese right up there and and he's coming over to me and he's standing over my shoulder right here and I, I'm sitting at that this desk you know it's like that bigger than that thing but like old school and I'm sitting there and he's explaining what he wants out of me and talking to me and I'm like literally in la la language what the hell and so we shoot my angle like I don't know four times and Marty he's over there in this other room where they're viewing what's going on and he comes out all right we got it. And I went, because I had seen a guy the day before. I got there, and I stayed on set all day dressed, ready to go to shoot this scene. Didn't happen. But I'd seen a guy uh, in, another, in, in, in another scene that, that didn't make it. Uh, they shot his this thing like, I don't know, it must have been 20-something times. Because they couldn't get it? Couldn't get it. And, and you could sense the... You could sense the the air leaking out of the room, and it was wasting time and money. And so I was just like, went back to my bus out, and I was like, please, God, don't let me be that guy. And I studied, studied. <laughs> well, so then he comes up, and he goes, uh, he goes, Marty comes out, okay, Randy, we got it. And I was like, we do? And he's like, yeah, we got it. And I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. Uh, and and he said, what? and so Leo looks at him and says, what do you mean? You sure? I was like, I, I've never really done this. He said, what do you mean you've never really done this? I was like, I've never done this. He said, well, wouldn't, you wouldn't know. <laughs> you know? I, I, would, like, I my, would know. <laughs> what I would do, I would spiral so bad and go, well, they, I must have been so bad they know there's no hope. <laughs> so, so we're just going to do it a few times because they know we might as well just move on. Yeah. Let's take a quick pause for a message from our sponsor. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Dot com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. 
Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Stu's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer, and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. Welcome back to the Bobbycast. How did it feel watching yourself back? It was weird. Yeah, it was. It was. I went to. I were. I, I was in oh, somewhere in Texas a couple a few weeks ago, maybe Dallas or somewhere. And we went to one of those mega. Me and some of my band guys during the middle of the day went to one of those megaplex things, and it was just a gigantic screen, you know, and. Actually, my buddy sent me a video of me watching it uh, while we were sitting there. But it was like, it's emotional as well. You know, it was like, I don't know. It was, it was strange. Did you feel the need to, in any little bit of acting that I've done, I done I did a movie with Vanessa Hudgens once, and I did, I played myself on Nashville where I actually had lines later in the, so I did some stuff, but I never to that level. But I felt like I had to fake like I belonged. Because I so didn't feel like I did. Like, I did not feel like I was one of them. But I knew I had to be professional. And, and I was expected to show up and be just as good as they were. Yeah. I wasn't going to be as good as they were. But it's show up, do your job, make sure we don't slow production down. Right. Go to the, did you have that pressure that you put on yourself? <clears throat> well, I didn't feel like I had to be one of them. I think that one of the coolest things, I had done another, uh, well, I, before I saw this, okay, that was the first one I shot. I shot another one that came out. With like, Dennis Quaid? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the the one that we're talking about now, I think that I was so far. One of the things I got to say is there were so many people that weren't actors in that movie, mm. um, musicians, songwriters, things like that, that that I kind of felt like, and I'd heard this, that, that Scorsese likes to get real people in his movies just to, to, to get, create the atmosphere of realism, you know, and that aren't actors and just, you know, ha- you know, I'm not an actor, but if you want somebody that talks like this to say that, I can do it. <laughs> you when, know? You, when you did the Hill with Dennis Quaid, you are, but that was you're. That's a lot of acting. Yeah, that was a bigger role, a bit definitely a bigger, a lot more to chew on. Were you excited because you'd had a taste? Yeah, 
and and now I want to do it more because that it was it was you know now I look I've only I've only seen Killers of the Flower Moon once and I was in that like for like ten seconds you know, um, at, but I did a lot I did a lot of stuff in it but it just that half of it didn't make it but there was um the with the one with Dennis Quaid the Hill which I love that movie it's um. It was. Uh, I, I look at it and go, damn, because I, you know, I have my own studio at home where I can sit and play the guitar parts as many times as I want and do all those things. And I look at that and I'm going, damn, I, I want to do that again. I want to. Oh man, I could have done that so much better had I known. You know, there's not there's none of that opportunity to do that like that. But it did leave me wanting to. Uh, I you know what for me it was just creatively to to be able to explore some other thing. And challenge myself was a lot of fun. Find fulfillment in it? I did. It was like, uh, but it was also that thing of like a healthy balance of beating myself up. You know what I mean? Because it's not, I don't really, when I go out and I grab my guitar and I go play, I know what I'm doing. It was something that was almost like standing on the edge of a tall building. That's how I felt with stand up when I really started pursuing it. I bet because it's just that's exactly <gasps> it. Like I can't it, imagine. Oh my god! Like I'm, there's a performance aspect to it, which yeah. you which you do, and you get the timing. Sure, but then it's there's a big part of it where you're just vulnerable again. Oh man! And that's that vulnerability is scary. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a drug in a way. It's like a, and when you do it right, you're right. You feel you feel that too. And you chase it. Yeah. I need alcohol now, guys. We're back to that. <laughs> I need a beer right now. So I, I know your 2024 tour, you're going to announce that soon. Mm-hmm. You're doing a bunch of dates. Yeah, I think I'm going to do a lot less than I did this year. I can't. My kids are like, it's just harder and harder to leave home, you know. Uh, if this is too much, let me know. I don't know how public you are about it, but Johnny Galecki, he was with you when I saw you. Mm-hmm. you I didn't even see you. You scared the crap out of me walking up to the... I'm in my car. We're about to leave. You're like, Bobby, I see a dude with a beard coming at me from the left. Oh, what have I done? And then I was like, oh, God. I didn't steal anything. I swear to God. <laughs> um, it was you. And are you guys... How did you guys get to know each other? We met uh, on... Tatiana and I, when we got married, we met on our honeymoon on a Luther. And he had, was on break from shooting Big Bang. I'd never seen Big Bang, you know, and and we we ended up, you know, out back smoking cigarettes and just ended up talking and sort of figured out what each other did. And uh but we just hit it off and then it was it was you know, it was sort of like an instant friendship and I and I uh I, you know, but he wasn't living out. here then, was he? Was he in LA? No, he was in LA. Yeah. And um we stayed in touch, and um, we ended up doing putting on a benefit uh, for uh, Pozo Saloon. The, the uh, is a place out in Northern California that, that uh, I think it's shut down now. But the one of the owners was had a cancer battle, and they weren't making any money out there. So we went and raised a bunch of money, and he and I put this thing on for. And so we just became friends, and we would figure out, you know, he would come to Nashville some and hang, stay with us, and I'd go stay with his place and hang out. And we just, we could kind of, it was it was weird because we were com- 
completely two different worlds. It was kind of like, you know, it was it was strange because completely different backgrounds, completely different views, in a lot of ways politically, and um, but somehow have always been able to find our spot and and never get mad, you know. And that's Which, a, that's the difference in one on one and human to human than pack and pack. Yeah, no, that's absolutely. Because if yeah. uh, it almost doesn't matter if you let's just say you're having a situation, your car's broken down, or you're in a parking lot, you know, somebody's going to help you. Yeah. Now, would a group of one side help a group of another side? Probably not. If it's pack mentality, which is sad. Yes, but when it comes to human human, yeah, like that yeah. stuff is secondary in life. Absolutely. We've made yeah. it a little more forward than we should. Yeah. We've let it really define us more than. I say us, just us as an, an American culture. Yeah. But I ne- when it comes to person to person, I've never had an issue with helping anybody, anybody helping me because of any sort of affiliation I have with anything. Yeah. I think sometimes I think we have it so good in our and in, in today in these times that, that we have had to create shit to fight about. We're bored. We're bored. just like the smart kid in school oh, who like, gets in trouble what? because— We're all going to eat well. We're all yeah. going to—you know what I mean— Dude, and, and the other thing that I find was that I uh, that most uh, most people are, you know, you you have media outlets that want to, you know, they they make money off pulling people farther and farther sure. these sides, and, and and really, everybody's not that far. No, apart. it's it's ninety eight percent the same. Right. The, the, the focus is on the two to three percent. We're not. Absolutely. And they make money. Everybody. They make money they, by selling commercials because it's sensational. Yeah. Every side. Yeah. The news. The news is not the news. No. The it's news is an entertainment. Absolutely. Right. Every every part of it. And the same thing with politicians. Like they want to divide us so they can have us and that section votes and you just build your section up bigger. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. But okay, look, let's end. The song is cancel. Um, the the Randy uh, the Dennis Quaid the song's movie. canceled yeah the song the Dennis Quaid movie The Hill which you do more acting which you know yeah. I think now people are like you know Randy's in Killers of the Flower Moon and you are but there's Kinda. definitely there's definitely more of you yeah as a, well it's you know a seasoned like actor me. in The Hill <laughs> so, well there's you know to even get a part in the Scorsese film was like freaking crazy great you know I was like even watching I was like mm, I'm almost in there but like and then. Then I have friends that are actors that are like, dude, we've been trying to get in a Scorsese film for 25 years. Yeah, it's awesome. So that was cool. You playing golf this week? I am. Yeah. Hopefully. I definitely am uh, next week. Why definitely next week? Because we're, we're going to uh, we're going on our trip Bahamas. Oh, you're playing out there? Yeah. What, what's your handicap? 10. Okay, I'm 11. We should go. We should go. Let me That'd know. That'd be a blast. Yeah. Because, um, listen, most of my friends have real jobs. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like I can play golf at like noon. Yeah. Well, because I work early in the morning. Yeah. So yeah, that'd be fun. We go. There's, there's, I mean, I go to the, I go to Old Hickory sometimes. I never played at Old Hickory. We went up there and looked because my course was shut down for a little bit. It's fun. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's fun. Let's put it that way. I like to, you know, there's, I like Why to. Why put it that way? Somebody getting murdered <laughs> on the course? No. It's just like right now, it's freaking, yeah, you know, it's brown. And yeah. It's November. Just, yeah. But, yeah, it's a blast out there. I just took Reed, and we went, and he tell you, up in Monterey. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. Dude. It's, it's elite. It's, it's like doing stuff that I never thought I'd get to do. But also, you have to be a member, and we're not members, obviously. Yeah. So it's like somebody calls and 
finds a member, then you go on like a blind date with an old man. Yeah. And you're like. That's like this place where I'm going next week, the Abaco Club. Freaking heaven on earth. You know, it's, it's kind of down but in the same area as the other one. And it's just like, I can't, it's like Ron White when he's talking about, he's rolling in that place and he's like, nobody's stopping me. <laughs> <laughs> you guys follow Randy at Randy Hauser on Instagram and Twitter. Same thing at Randy Hauser and then randyhauser.com. We'll be waiting for the tour announcement, and the song is canceled. And uh, we love talking with you. We just spent an hour with each other. Yeah, I could do another hour pretty easily. <laughs> um, so let's do it. Okay, so next up. Now, Randy, good to talk to you, buddy. You too. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for listening to a BobbyCast production. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand, in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tecovis store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tecovis.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tecovis.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.